He sold his first company for 15 million bucks, a nice financial exit for him. Now plunging back into the world, this time deciding to raise capital for the idea instead of bootstrapping. They've raised $21 million for Health Loop, which is really playing in the patient engagement space and the communication between patient and doctors, a very special relationship founded in what well, he joined in 2013. Again, they're based up there in San Francisco, currently serving about 70 doctors and organizations that pay on average called 120 grand per year. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is episode 741. Coming up tomorrow morning, we're going to learn from Amanda Newman. She crowns real estate agents as mayors in cities, and she's grown from 700K to 6.4 million in ARR in under 12 months. How does she do it? Hello, everybody. My guest today is Todd Johnson. He's a serial healthcare information technology entrepreneur committed to building a great product team and company. He's a proven track record in cultivating great ideas and a great business as well, striving to build great company cultures and brands. Before his current company, Health Loop, Todd was the founder and CEO of Solar Inc., a Baltimore, Maryland-based provider of acute care physician charge capture and documentation solutions. Todd, are you ready to take us to the top? I sure am. How, why, how do you get excited about healthcare, man? I would be beating my head against the wall. I'd give up in like two seconds and I'd run the other direction. Uh, look, you know, healthcare makes up a sixth of our economy. It is an insanely complex, convoluted, and unbelievable industry. Um, but uh, at the core of it, everyone is a healthcare seeker, right? Everyone needs the healthcare delivery system at some point in their life. And also at the core of it, the healthcare delivery system has attracted people that really want to do good physicians, nurses. And so you can find a lot of good opportunities to introduce change in the system that I think um, desperately needs it. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So before we talk about Health Loop, tell me about your your first gig here. Is it? It's pronounced Salar, right? Salar, correct. Salar. Yeah. Okay. What was that? Obviously, what, what did that company do, and how did you exit that? Yeah. So I think the simple example is it was a, a company that began to replace some of the really mundane sort of paper processes inside of hospitals um, at the point of service with tablet OS, if you can remember what that was, and then ultimately sort of iPad and uh, iPhone-based solutions to capture information at the bedside between the physician and the patient and automate a bunch of business back-end processes that are necessary to keep a hospital and a physician group running. And I guess the second part of your question, how do you exit? Um, you know, the, the, the race to digitize medicine is dominated by electronic medical record vendors and uh, medical transcription vendors. And we sold that company to the nation's second largest medical transcription firm in uh, 2011. For how much? Yeah, it was a, a $15 million exit. That was a company that had no venture capital. So it was me and my partners and, mm -hmm. uh, and our employees. So it was a, it was a, actually a, a nice exit. Uh, that, that, was that, your, that, was a, that was your first kind of big financial event, and it was enough for you to really be good for life if you spent your money carefully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah depending if I can keep my spending and my wife's spending habits in check. What's the most you spend money on personally per month right now? You know, we live in Silicon Valley. so Ooh, it's Rent, it's, baby. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty astonishing market. I wish I was in uh, commercial real estate in Silicon Valley or residential do you own, real estate. Do you own your place or do you rent? Uh, no, we're renting. Why not just why not buy it so it you know, builds equity? 
Well, I think there's a couple of things. You know, I'm an East Coaster, and, and uh, after we sold our first company, my wife and I moved the family to Silicon Valley, and um, the transition there was rapid, so we didn't have time to really understand the market, and so we started renting. And I guess over time, you get comfortable with where you are, and our kids were in school, and it just seems like it's the right answer for us. And I guess the second thing is that the real, for those that live in Silicon Valley, they understand the, the madness of that market. Um, it's just hard to get right with the price escalations there. Yeah, makes <laughs> makes good sense. So let's fast forward now. So that exit you said was in what year again? Uh, 2011. 2011, $15 million exit there. Good financial event for everyone. No venture capital. What year did you launch Health Loop in? So Health Loop was actually initiated in 2009 by a physician in San Francisco. He's the founder. Um, for a few years, it was more or less an idea on a piece of paper and a dream. <clears throat> the board found me, um, and I joined in early 2013 to turn it from idea into company. Um, the founder's a brilliant guy, just a, a creative individual who um, who had a really simple um, revelation, which is he had a patient that uh, was otherwise pretty healthy. She was in her mid-60s, had pneumonia. He put her on an antibiotic, assumed everything would be fine because it usually is. Um, then he got a call from the intensive care unit at Cal Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco seven days later, and this woman was almost dead. And she was on a ventilator and respiratory failure. And his first question is, why the hell didn't she call me, right? If, uh, if she wasn't getting better and if this medicine wasn't working, she should have reached out. And then his second really obvious sort of observation is, shame on me, why didn't I call her? As her doctor, I should have been touching base and checking in to see how she was doing. And, and that was really the genesis of Health Loop. And, when I met Jordan Schlain um, in late 2012. He's the I guy who actually, originally had the idea. Yeah, he's just the, yeah, the, the physician founder, and, and he's still active and a board member and a wonderful friend. Um, you know, the, this basic concept that we can um, do more with patients and check in to make sure they get better health, I think, is a universally good thing. Nobody sort of disagrees with that. Um, but secondly, the market timing and our transition of the economy, um, the healthcare economy from a transactional system to a value-based system, and we can talk a little bit more about that if you'd like, mm -hmm. um, make, makes for good timing for innovations that can help achieve better quality healthcare at lower cost. How do you make money, though? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's been an interesting evolution at Health Loop. You know, just to back up on the technology, what it is is, you know, Health Loop is a, a platform that automatically sends push notifications to patients after a new diagnosis or before and after a surgery to continuously sort of check in and give you a daily dose of here's what you need to know, do, and expect today. And then Health Loop assesses, hey, how are you doing today? And asks you a series of questions to identify, do you have an issue? And, um, you know, if you have an issue, we notify your doctor, that doctor follows up, we get you better health care. I think if you if you roll back the clock five years ago, um, there's really not a great business model around improving the quality of care. Yeah, because right? who pays for it, the patient or the doctor? Right. And, and so, you know, in, in that world, in fact, um, failure was rewarded. Like if, if you were admitted to the emergency room and they patched you up and then you come back a week later, that's just more revenue. Yeah, right. and, and this is a fairly cynical approach. There's plenty it's of true, good though. Listen, if people want to admit it or not, the world runs on incentive structure. So if you, if you have a backwards incentive structure, the thing's not going to work. Yes. So when, when you think about layering this kind of capability that elevates sort of higher quality care and reduces cost, there's multiple parties that benefit, right? Patients benefit. They get better health care. They get better outcomes. As a business, we've decided that we don't think the right strategy is to monetize this through patients. While I think there's there's precedent for it, there's other companies that do, um, we sort of believe every patient deserves this. 
Physicians and their teams benefit by having improved quality, greater patient satisfaction, greater reputation in the community, and increasingly there are strong economic incentives, many of which were sort of spurred by the Affordable Care Act and also sort of the unaffordability of, of commercial insurance. Um, to make doctors accountable. That is the business lane we've chosen. Um, before we kind of dig in on, on, on how we do that, you know, other parties that benefit are people like insurance carriers, right? Um, and so we believe that in order to earn and retain the trust of a patient that's sick and going through one of these episodes, you have to, you have to channel their doctor. That's the relationship of trust in healthcare. And if you can tie into that, you actually get the level of participation from patients that's truly meaningful. So again, tell me how you, short show, so tell me how you make money. Yeah, so we have an enterprise subscription sales model. We sell to healthcare delivery systems, so health systems and doctors. We sell in buckets of cases a year, patient cases, so up to 2,000 cases, up to 10,000 patients per year. Typical first-year contract value is about $120,000 to $150,000. And then we hope to escalate those year over year to anywhere between a quarter of a million to a million dollars in annual current revenue um, per year. And what is it? So, so I can assume, again, first year ACV on average is call it 120, 120,000 on the low end. But what they're really doing is prepaying for a number of cases. And then they, they pay yeah. down that balance as they use the cases over time. Do you refund them at the end if they don't use all the cases they bought? No, it's sort of a use it or lose it strategy. So we amortize or radically recognize over the year. Got it. Um, and is that an average? I mean, just the average customer is paying you ten grand per month or one twenty per year. Yeah. Okay. And what? Go yeah, ahead. That's fine. Well, I was gonna say. So, like, what is it? I, I wonder what that sales call sounds like because the doctor's going, "Look, I mean, they're not gonna say this, but I don't want this thing to be solved. Like, I need her or him to come back in two months because they had a complication and I just learned about it. Like, literally, how do you solve that incentive structure problem? I would hate to be your salesperson. Yeah, the short answer is it's hard. The good news is that we are moving um, to a delivery system that has much better incentives. It's taking much longer than I think I want and I think patients deserve. But we're moving, you know, the, the, the consumer way to think about this is into a warranty program model where hospitals and physicians have to warrant their services for 60 days or 90 days after a treatment is provided. And it creates sharp economic um, incentives. The challenge with that is that these are very targeted, so they might be just for heart attack patients or for total joint replacement patients. And so that's why sort of our expansion opportunities within health system providers are sort of we designed to land within these areas where they're bearing economic risk today and expand with them over time as the incentives shake out either through the federal government or through commercial insurance carriers. Got it. And how many doctors are you working with today as paying customers? Yeah, so between hospitals and physician groups, we have about 70 uh, groups on board, and the mix is about 20 hospitals and health systems and 50 independent practices. Okay, and I mean, can I can I do the math of just taking, you know, those 70 folks times your your ACV of the 120 to basically back into a, an AR number of about, what does that I mean, what does that come out to, 8.4 million, I think? Yeah, so the physician practices are on, a, um, on an older sort of subscription model, so the ARR is closer to $4 million a year. Okay, got uh, it. And so it's like that 20 hospitals makes up a little bit of a bigger portion than the physician practices themselves. Got it. And is this something you've shown, you know, your first company, you didn't raise capital. Have you raised capital on this one? Yep, we've raised $21 million. Um, this is a sector, well, my previous business was a good business, but it was never one that was going to have sort of high growth nor was it going to have crazy competition for customer market share. Mm -hmm. This is a space that is both obvious and inevitable and attracting a ton of competition, excitement, and energy in the space. And so one could really call this, this is a race for market share right now. 
Um, so I think it's an appropriate business to raise growth capital and push hard. I think we are seen as the number one in the industry right now, and we want to keep that position and for grow push, it. For push notifications between doctors and clients? Yeah, this is largely re referred to as the patient engagement space. So how do you engage patients in between visits or after discharge to guide uh, guide their health? And what do you talk to me about churn? Have you signed up any of these folks and have they canceled? And if so, what's your kind of average annual retention? Yeah, we do pretty well. We're um, above 90% in annual retention. The number one reason for churn is, well, actually two. One is there's there's not an economic incentive. So in some cases, physicians or medical groups sign up absent those types of, of economic incentives. And then it's a nice to have, not a must have. Yep. Um, and I think the second one is if an, if an organization, you, you know, there's an institutional mindset to think about treating patients as they come through the door and optimizing throughput, right? We've got to bed patients, treat them and discharge them, bed patients, treat them. And there's a mindset to think about treating patients after they've been discharged and to think operationally about how to do that. And so I think organizations that don't have the mindset that they want to treat patients in this way are never going to set themselves up for success. Got it. And, and up to me today in terms of team size, right? So how many folks do you have at the company? Yeah, we got about 40 people. Uh, we've been doing a fair amount of investment in the sales and market development side. How many of the 40? Um, let's see, six, seven, eight of the 40 are on the sales team. And, you know, these are, it, it's a hardcore enterprise sale. We're dealing I with imagine. very complex, it, it's an orchestration between physicians and hospital administration. You got to find the person to sell to, then you got to sell them a contract, which they're not incentivized to buy at all. So they hope, hopefully they're a good person that want to do the right thing, which is a hard sale. That's exactly right. And, and again, fortunately, the economics of the marketplace are, are improving. Um, the, the interesting thing about this is when I reflect back on Salar and, you know, venture folks and people that are in this space understand that the enterprise sales cycles, the health systems can be 12 to 18 months. Our cycle times now are about six to seven months, which is, it still sucks. On the 120 ACV? On the 120 ACV. That's great. Um, but it's a hell of a lot better than, than I've been able to perform with other businesses and that I think is typically happening. And, and we chalk that up to there's strong market demand for these tools right now. Yeah. What, what is the um, what are you paying to acquire these customers? What's your CAC? Yeah. So, you know, it's really largely the sales expense overhead. And, yep. and, and again, there's sort of variability. If you're dealing with a very prestigious academic medical center, we might be on site four or five times to get that thing. Over what do you aim for, though? Like fully weighted CAC? Yeah, I mean, we'd love about a $10,000 price of acquisition. Yeah. Um, again, we have a, a strong degree of variability there. Why not? Like, if you think you could spend more to land them quicker, like, I mean, so you get paid, if they pay you 120 grand up front and you only put out 10 grand, I mean, that's great. You paid back instantly, right? Like, why not? I mean, if you jack that up and spend more and you spent 100 grand, could you grow faster? Or no, you haven't figured out that lever yet. You know, I honestly believe that um, with this marketplace, it's hard to push things after. In other words, there's so many competing priorities within these organizations that you have to find the ones that are ready, that have the urgency. So money and, can't and, solve and, it. That's exactly right. And, and so I think it's actually more about upping the number of at-bats you have to increase the likelihood that you can identify those that have urgency now. And then those that don't, they come back next quarter or the quarter after that. And, and so I think that's the better strategy to think about improving sort of acquisition rates. Yep. And then you, you probably did, have done back of the napkin math on this, but what do you assume lifetime value is on one of these guys or girls? Yeah. I mean, it, again, it's going to depend on the size of the organization, but you'd love to have it between a million and five. Um, yep. We'll see. We'll see how things shake out. I think we don't yet have precision on what are our true conversion rates up to advanced 
you know, between a half a million and a million to even more, what are those going to be over time? We'll know in, in a year or two. Yep. Makes good sense. Um, you said you're, you're doing, uh, you're about 4 million right now in MR. So what about 20 million run rate, something like that? It's, so, I mean, sorry, 40 in ARR. Oh, that's ARR. Yeah. Got it. 4 million in ARR. And then talk to me kind of about growth rates. So what were you, I mean, what'd you do last year? Yeah, so we're going to do probably a 150% growth over last year. That's great. Okay, in terms of in terms of kind of ARR or, or MRR? In, in annual recognized revenue. Yeah. Right, and then the year before that, it was about a 300% growth. And, you know, I'd like to keep it between 100 and 200% growth going forward. I think we may see some escalation. You know, the, the regulatory side of this equation really does matter. Um, what happens in D.C. really pushes the industry, and we will see it ebb and flow as policy um, begins to shake out. Yeah, and there's so much unpredictability there, right? So like, it makes it even – that can either be a good thing for business unpredictability or a bad thing. Yeah, in, in this case, I think it's a bad thing. You know, the, the Affordable Care Act did, um, I think, create a tremendous amount of urgency in this tipping point where the delivery system sort of understood that we were having to move to a value-based model and, and organizations were proactively chasing that. The good news is I think we actually got there that it's, it's out now it's actually harder to pull back, but without certainty on the policy side, I, you know, people just don't know exactly where they need to be investing. And I think there's a fear that if we pull back coverage for the low income population, you know, the 23 million, you know, whatever budget report you want to believe, right? The fact is those people still require healthcare services and they go to the hospital and the hospital either pays it out of pocket or they get reimbursed for those services. So I think hospitals need to be very thoughtful about conserving cash and preparing for a future in which, you know, eight to $10 billion is coming off their balance sheet um, as opposed to, to from federal subsidies. to do you, have, do you have any hidden costs like we wouldn't, you know, typically associate with a software company or is your gross margin in the what, 80, 90 range? Yeah, I think the, the hidden costs are really around the change management to really move a large delivery system to adopt a new method of thinking around patient care. And um, again, you have a wide degree of variability in these um, organizations. Some are ready to go. They've got great leadership. They are on fire, and others need a lot of support. And so we, we do exert a good amount of professional services to help them achieve. How much um, of that do you put above the line? Like, what's your, I mean, what is your gross margin? Yeah, so gross margin right now is around 70%. I mean, that's not horrible. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, that's not bad at all. And so you're actually just understand like most software companies, they'll just have like Amazon WebEx, like those kinds of, you know, merchant fees on your yeah. processor. Your your majority above the line stuff has to do more with like the educational cost of like getting this thing done. Yep, yep, exactly right. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. One of the themes, guys, I have on this show is I have very successful people at selling information on. People like Amy Porterfield, uh, people that have online membership courses. And many of you will direct message me and email me and sometimes even text me and said, Nathan, 
How do we do all this? How do we do the email marketing for a course? How do we handle the payment? How do we put the membership login on our website? You know, how do we get the course information organized quickly and easily? Well, the tool that people are using and a lot of people are using this, you can see at nathanlacka.com forward slash course. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash course. The trial is nice and free, which I love if you're like me. I just want to log in, tinker around, figure it out myself, and then decide if I want to use it or not. So it's nathanlacka.com forward slash course. This is the most straightforward way I've seen to launch your course. So you don't have to go buy 10 different pieces of software like email marketing plus payment plus a bunch of other stuff. It's all in one. The trial is totally free. NathanLacka.com forward slash course. Go there now. I'll see you there. Yeah. Very cool, Todd. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? You know, I've got sort of two that I love. One is uh, Michael Gerber's uh, E-Myth Revisited. As simple it is, as it is, I find it to be really um, helpful at different stages in a company's development to think about organizational design and development. And then the other is the, the, dysfunctions, the five dysfunctions of a team, I think, is always useful to think about in terms of how we engage as team members within a company. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, Donald Trump, CEO of the country. Yeah, I you have to. Unfortunately, way too much. You know, I think in the in the healthcare space, you know, I equate um, Health Loop more to a healthcare company uh, than I do sort of a technology business. Um, but the CEO that I have a crush on is Elon Musk. I mean, that guy as a as such a visionary and someone who really somehow is able to, to lead an industry through change is admirable. Um, he's got qualities that I think are superpowers. Number three, what's your favorite online tool like Acuity Scheduling? Yeah, you know, I'm a super Gmail user and I tend to, tend to plug it up with all sorts of productivity enhancers. Um, for me, it's kind of the simple ones like Boomerang. I don't know how I would potentially live without that sucker. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got to feel like that, that I have become dependent on pause. Inbox pause is another one that I absolutely love. <laughs> Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, I shoot for eight. I get seven. Uh, okay. Last night I got five and a half. And what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Obviously, I know you're married and kids, but how many? <laughs> married and two kids, nine and seven. So two little ones. Fun year. All right. And how old are yeah. you? Uh, 40, just turned 40. Congratulations. Last question. Take us back 20 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? You know, I wish my 20-year-old self took things a little bit less seriously. You know, when I was in college, I busted my ass and I achieved too much, and I feel like I moved through it too quickly. And, um, you know, life moves quick. It's easy to get wrapped up in work, and uh, there's moments in time that your life where you don't have a lot of responsibilities, and you should take advantage of those moments and and do nothing uh, or do things that are purely fun uh, and not worried about being so damn successful all the time. There you guys have it from Todd Johnson. Don't <laughs> worry about being so damn successful all the time. Speaking of success, he sold his first company for 15 million bucks, a nice financial exit for him. Now plunging back into the world, this time deciding to raise capital for the idea instead of bootstrapping. They've raised $21 million for Health Loop, which is really playing in the patient engagement space and the communication between patient and doctors, a very special relationship founded in what well, he joined 
in 2013. Again, they're based up there in San Francisco, currently serving about 70 doctors and organizations that pay on average, call it 120 grand per year. They're currently doing about 300 grand in monthly, or sorry, 400 grand in monthly uh, recurring revenue, or sorry, 4, 4 million in ARR, which comes out to about 330 grand in monthly recurring revenue, 90% annual retention. So they're growing. He's tackling a tough system with 21 million bucks raised. Todd Johnson, thank you for taking us to the top. All righty. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode with Todd, go back and listen to yesterday's episode with Chow. He's helped over 20,000 folks land a job with his recruiting tool. He's raised $4 million and passed $200,000 in monthly recurring revenue.